we, uh, we are going to talk about accountability today. Um, I asked someone before the service, I said, well, when I say accountability, what do you think of? And I got some answers. What do you, what do you guys think of when I say accountability? Anybody? Just throw something out. First thing that comes to mind, accountability. Responsibility. Yeah? Anybody else? Huh? Discipline? You guys are giving really good answers. My favorite answer is what I thought of was coffee. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what the person said to me too. Uh, coffee. When I think of accountability, I think about going and meeting with someone over coffee. Right? Um, we have a men's group that meets on Thursday mornings. I don't meet with them currently because it's really early in the morning. But uh, they meet for accountability. They say that a lot. We meet for accountability, right? Um, sometimes I know some ladies get together in the church and talk one-on-one. And they say, well, what did you do? Well, we met for some accountability. Um, and many times what we think of is uh, in this life that we're going to find in, in Christ, that we find ourselves in, we're going to be accountable uh, to each other. This is a great thing. We're going to hold each other accountable, okay? We are going to give an account to each other. I recently heard someone say uh, in, in a conversation that um, because we're Protestants, we don't worry about confession anymore, right? That's not really true. I mean, we're still called to confess our sins to one another. It's this accountability thing, being honest, letting people in, right, risking that with each other. And um, so today we're going to talk about uh, accountability, but we're not going to talk about that kind of accountability, right? And I'm going to start with uh, the Gospel of John this morning. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. We have a, um, a, quite a bit of Scripture to get through today, but God's going to bless our time in it and teach us many things. John 21, uh, 15 through 22, we're going to study today. Um, this idea of accountability to kind of set up uh, the accountability that we are going to be pursuing today together in the time in the Word. This, is, by the way, is our last week in this series called The Life You Never Wanted. And, and it's kind of been the series about maybe thinking you knew what you were getting going in and getting something different than you expected. Um, and so uh, today we're going to study from the Gospel of John. This is what the Word says. Um, After they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, uh, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, just so you guys all know where we're at in the scriptures at this point, because uh, I want to be really clear, this is at the end of the Gospel of John. If you don't know the story of Jesus, Jesus came as a baby, right? We're going to celebrate Christmas. We all know that. Um, and, and then he lived his life, and then he gave his life as a ransom for many. That means he gave his life for the sins of the whole world. And this is the gospel of Jesus, that he died to forgive all of our sins, yours, mine, your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads, your kids, your enemies, everyone's sin, Jesus died to forgive. That's why he came to earth. And here in the gospel of John, we have Jesus after he has given his life and after he has been raised from the dead by the power of God. Okay, so I want you to get that in case you didn't read a lot of Bible or whatever, that you understand that we're talking about Jesus who has been raised from the dead. No one is more surprised by this than his disciples when they see him. And here now Jesus is talking to them, and this is what he says. After they finished eating together, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you, right? Praise God. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, he answered, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep, right? And then the third time, 
Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him this a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. There's this amazing interaction with Peter, and we can kind of Sunday school this thing out and say, well, he denied Jesus three times, so he's been reinstated three times, and that's really awesome. But there's an intimacy thing happening here where Jesus is like, do you really love me, Peter? And Peter, at the end, it says he's hurt by Jesus' asking this over and over, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, if you read on, he says this. Jesus responds, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to a place where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. Do you love me more than these? He asks him. And he tells him the story, and then he, he says, because, the writer says, this is because this is how Peter is going to glorify God in his life. Peter's call to love Jesus will bring glory to God. And the striking thing is Jesus says here then, follow me right? So we're all together, okay? So Jesus has kind of hurt Peter's feelings, and now Peter is intently listening, and he hears this, this kind of coming time that doesn't sound good at all, and then Jesus says, but Peter, follow me. Now I want you to see what happens next. We're thinking about accountability here. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, right? So he looks back, and there's this other dude behind him. Now, this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus' chest in the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? By the way, here's a little footnote. That's the dude who wrote this book, okay? The guy who leaned back in Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, he was kind of hanging really, he was really close to Jesus and said, who will betray you, Lord? Right? That's the guy that wrote this book. And, and this is the guy that's walking behind them. And when Peter sees the one walking behind him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about him? And Jesus answered Peter like this. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Okay? And I'm going to pull up that last verse. Because Jesus answers like this. What does it matter to you? You follow me. A lot of times in church life, we think about, and outside of church life, I don't mean church life like little c. I mean like following Jesus life, which is what church life is, right? It's not this. It's following Jesus in our lives. We have a tendency to look at when Jesus asks us for hard things, we look at others, and we say, well, what, what about that guy? What about that girl? What are you going to do with all these other people? But you see, just like Jesus does here with Peter, he lovingly says, what does that matter to you? What is it to you if I do what I want with that person? Only you follow me.
sometimes, I, I talked about the accountability group idea, the accountability group. Sometimes we get together. We do family groups at Family Bible Church, by the way. That's a small group study. And we try to hold each other accountable there also, right? But many times we believe that's where our accountability truly lies, is with, with one another. That's a gift to us. The church is a gift to us to hold us accountable. But ultimately, we're accountable to Christ, to Jesus, to his call in our life. And I'm convinced that, like Peter, so many of us want to look at others and say, well, what about that person? They're, they're, not, they're, doing, they're not doing the other thing, right? But Jesus is like, don't worry about that person. Why? Worry about what's happening with me and with you. With me and with you. I, I wonder, are, are we being accountable before God? And I don't mean that in like a browbeating way, right? I mean, I think we're really good at guilting each other into things, especially in church life, right? You have to do this, you know? Like, no matter what, we, we, you know, you, you're going to have to serve in this way or act in this way or do this thing or, or, or whatever. And you're so afraid to, to really respond to Jesus the way he's calling you to respond that you, you know, you do something different than what he's calling you to do. I'm telling you this like as someone who confesses with you. I confess. I don't do that well. Far more worried about what others would say than what Jesus would say when he's telling us to do things. Accountability that we have is before not just the holy God, that is true, but against the loving God. And I wanted to start with that today, that, that Jesus here repeatedly just asked, do you love me, Peter? Yeah, you know, I, do you love me? Yeah, you know we love you, Jesus. Then do this. Do you love me? Yeah, you know, you know everything. You know we love you. Like inside, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, like when you lay your head on the bed at night and there's nobody around and even your spouse is asleep or your parents are asleep or whatever and you're all alone and in that moment, you know, you, you, you realize that you really love Jesus. Yeah, you know I love you. Then do this. Then follow me. One of my favorite things when talking to people who, who don't follow Jesus is they, they, they always point to other people. Yeah, but what about that situation over there? What about what's happening here? What, what about all these unknowns? And they, and they try to remove from this moment of relationship with Jesus into these other things, right? Because we think that's what life is about, is these other things and not about this relationship with Jesus. But it's all about the relationship with Jesus, and, and I'm going to turn now, if you would, um, to the book of Romans. And we're going to start with Romans 1. We're going to work a little bit here. Romans 1 is some heavy lifting. Uh, we're going to, oh, i got to push one more button there. We're going to be going Romans 1, uh, 16 through 216. It's a big old chunk of Scripture. I'm going to read a lot of it. I'm not going to stop. There's a lot of stuff in here that we need to wrestle with at some point. But we're going to stop over a few points um, this morning. Because one of the things that happens to me when I talk to people and they say, yeah, but what about, you know, Joe or Sally or what about, and there's always some like hypothetical situation when we're talking about their relationship with Jesus, their responsibility before his presence, his holiness. And we kind of shift, we, we, we uh, tension shift elsewhere, trying to get out of our accountability. This is what Paul, by the way, wrote the book of Romans to the church in Rome. Beautiful book. Um, this is what it says. 
Paul's speaking, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Listen to it, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. By the way, what's the gospel? The power of the gospel is that God sent his only son to die to to pay a debt that you and I could not pay. I mean, if you read the Bible, it's filled with illustrations of how you can't afford to pay off your sin. And therefore, God provided a way in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, and that's the power of the gospel in your life. That Jesus died for all of your sins. Listen to me. Yes, that sin. You know what I mean? That one that right now you're thinking of, you're like, oh, he died for that. Yeah, he died for that sin too. The one you think uh, is, you know, unredeemable. That's the one he died for. He died for all of them. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, right? We'll leave that there. There's a whole lot in there. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith from first to last. This translation could also be read from faith to faith to faith, right? Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godless and wicked, wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their own wickedness since, now here it is, I want you to hear this, since what may be known about God has been made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Yeah, that's one of those excuses I always get. Well, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know they were sinners. They didn't know they needed a Savior right? But listen to what Paul says. He says, the wrath has been revealed since what, be made, what may be known about God is plain to them. By the way, is plain to us. Us, right? It's been made plain because God has made it plain. Back up. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, since the very beginning, the very first breath of life, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We talked about that a little bit ago, a few weeks ago in the series, right? For, for although they knew God, they neither, neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, that means useless, and their foolish hearts became black. Although they claimed to be wise, they were fools, and exchanged the glory for the immortal God of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles, right? 24, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. I want you to see that real time, right now, eternally praised by everything Amen. 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for each other. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. 28, furthermore, since we did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things that ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. We talked about that last week. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who will do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of others who do them. Wow. Stay with me. Two, chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on another person, because at whatever point you have judged the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the very same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere mortal, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to your repentance? Wow. I want to stop right there for a minute, and I want to talk about that. So there's this whole buildup, and we've heard some of that stuff out of Romans 1, right, about what's broken in the world and what's broken inside of us. And we kind of lament that. Especially, I believe, the closer we draw to Jesus, the more we recognize our own sinfulness, right? I mean, you can't, I don't know if you can, I can't read the Bible without being convicted about my own sinfulness. I celebrate his victory in my heart. I celebrate his salvation and my eternal promise in him. And yet I'm always aware of my own failure in his presence. But here he says, be careful because as you judge others, there's that point that what about that guy and what about that girl, right? You condemn yourselves because you do the very same things. Gosh, go back to that list if you're uncomfortable and look through there. There's a lot of stuff in there that God is displeased with. What does that look like when we point fingers at each other, right? That's a, that's a hard thing. What do you say? If you have contempt for God's kindness, because his kindness, Peter, do you love me, leads to repentance. The kindness of Jesus leads to repentance. Now, I want to be clear. It leads to repentance. You want to change, you want to please God. You want to love him all the more. You know I love you, right? But his kindness leads to repentance. Wow, Does, is it almost say our judgment of others doesn't lead to repentance? <laughs> it seems to strongly imply that. <laughs> God's kindness to sinners like us leads us to repent, to change to, to live differently, not perfectly. I don't know if you've met a perfect Christian yet. Anybody met a perfect Christian yet? I've met a lot of y'all. You're a mess. You know, yeah, you're laughing. That's not funny. You're a mess. Like I've said and talked to you, like your life's a mess. You know what I mean? You're, uh, and you talk to me and you know my life's a mess, right? <sighs> right? Getting too close to the truth. And yet, 
God's kindness demonstrated in Jesus compels us to want to change. It's a gift. It's a grace. It's beautiful. Do you not know that God's kindness leads you, me, toward repentance? Five, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves for the day of God's wrath. That's accountability. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he's done to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Those who are after him, that's what that means. It doesn't mean you're trying to do good enough for Jesus. It means you're so in love with him that you're responding to the gospel, you're repenting of your sins, and you are seeking his kingdom, and you will be given eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. You see, so here's this reciprocity, that's a big word, from earlier, right? But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first the Jew, then the Gentile, because God does not show favoritism. I tell you what, God doesn't show favoritism. He loves all sinners the same. All sinners the same. We don't, I don't know if we believe that, right? Matt said that earlier. He said, I'm a child of God. I couldn't do anything to make him love me anymore or any less. Neither can you. Boy, he loves us so much that he gave everything for us. Not only Jesus on the cross, not only the, the resurrection from the dead, but his abiding spirit, his spirit that lives in us and compels us toward him. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you God's Spirit is pressing you toward Jesus. Believe the gospel. He died for all of our sin. God doesn't show favoritism. 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, right? It's not knowing the rules, but it's those who obey the law and will be be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, here's going to pause and go, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, uh, now, um, their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So this idea that even if they're outside, they haven't heard the rules, the God's book of rules, they've recognized in creation his expectation, his, and they've, they've sought that out in their hearts. They're a law unto themselves, and not only does their hearts accuse them of their failing, but it, it, it argues for their redemption, right? It even defends them. This will take place on the day, here it is, when God will judge men's secrets, through Christ Jesus, as my gospel declares. There's coming a day of righteousness, a day of holiness, and um, you and I are called to that day as sinners who are bought by Christ. So, okay, I talked a little bit, and so here's the thing, right? Accountability. (laughs) This idea that we're going to hold each other accountable is great, but we just don't do it very well. 
You know what I mean? Like, I've been in some of those groups, and rarely have I seen anyone ask anyone else a really hard question. Rarely. And I'll tell you what, I've almost never had anyone ask me a really hard question. You know why? Because if, if we all just leave each other alone, you know what I mean? We could pretend we're okay. <laughs> you know, as long as you act like you're okay and act like I'm okay and we're all together, we're all okay, then whew, no righteousness required, <laughs> right? But that's not the way God works. He knows our secret things. I mean, the funny thing about this whole, like, you know, we don't confess or we don't, you know, we don't, uh, we aren't holding each other accountable is that we believe that um, that's the ultimate everything is to one another. We're accountable to each other. That's not the ultimate everything. It's the accountability for God. I mean, the real truth is we're afraid to confess to one another is that, that we believe that somehow by hiding, we can deceive God. But Paul's gospel here says that God will judge the secret things through Jesus Christ. What's really going on in your heart? So who's afraid of men or women or accountability groups or honesty? Oh, God, help us with that, right? I mean, God, help me with that. I'd be more honest, Lord, because I, I know you know me. So why can't I be honest with others about where I'm at? That's kind of how that works. Confession. Agreeing. Confession, by the way, agreeing with God about what he already knows about us. I always thought that was funny, right? We don't, we don't go behind the curtain and tell our secrets to God, and he's like, oh, wow, that's surprising to me. That's not how it works. He's like, right, my son. Yeah, I knew that. Boy, and Jesus died for that too. Do you know how much I love you? I love you so much that I forgave all of your sins. All of your sins. So I would be afraid to confess it's a beautiful thing. This kindness of Jesus draws us to repentance, draws us indeed to redemption, to this um, sanctification, accountability before God. You know, the psalmist writes, oh, Lord, search me and know me. Examine my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. Like, that's the prayer of an accountable person. That's a dangerous way to pray, though, in your life, to really be accountable before God for everything Without cheating into this kind of performance area, you know what I mean? God, show me if there's any wicked ways in me without trying to perform for others so I look good on the outside, but I'm still dead inside. Help me to be able to be who you call me to be in all integrity and honesty and let the world just see me how I am. It's different than what we get in most of the church where we try to uh, pretend or perform or act like we're okay. The last uh, scripture I want to share with you this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew 12. You can turn there with me if you would. 683 if you use one of our Bibles. I always like to go back. You know, I, I always, we, we check the Bible with the Bible. We read things, you know, and sometimes we can take one little scripture and we can jump out with it and kind of make a mess of things. Scripture doesn't conflict with itself. It just doesn't. Um, and so when we, we look at other areas, we want to see here, because see, if you go to the Gospels, you're probably going to get things that Jesus is, um, has said. Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 through 37. Jesus is, is teaching here, and he says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather, listen, gather with me is scattering. And so I tell you, 
Every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit or the Spirit cannot be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, neither in this age or the age to come. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about that a little bit, but this idea that if, if you are living an unrepentant life, if God has convicted you of your sin and you are willfully ignoring him even to the point of death, like you're the guy on a deathbed that would just be like, and in my last breath, I'm going to say, no God. Not, no great, no love, no Jesus, no spirit, nothing of truth. It becomes, an unfor- it's an unforgivable sin. My interpretation, we can talk about that later, but that's, that I, I see, because the Holy Spirit compels us toward the gospel. And so it's our denying of the gospel to the very end of our lives that truly seals our fate to be separated from God, not with him for eternity. In this age or the age to come, Jesus goes on teaching in 33, make a tree good. Look at, make a tree good. Make a tree good, and this fruit will be good. You see, the fruit is not good if the tree isn't good, and that's what Jesus is going to say. Or make a tree bad, and this fruit will be bad because a tree is recognized by what it produces, right? This is a great thing for us as followers of Jesus. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Because out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. Another great teaching. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will, and that means people, by the way, ladies, it means people will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. I got to tell you, when I read that verse this week, it was like, you know, the Holy Spirit landed on my chest with both feet. Every person will have to give an account for every careless word. Jesus started his teaching by saying, whoever isn't gathering with me is, is um, dispersing, right? Whoever isn't drawing people in with the grace of God, the grace of the gospel, is scattering sinners, hopeless into the world. And here he says, every person's going to have to give account for every thoughtless word. I mean, does that strike fear in your heart at all? Let me just ask you, have you ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation with somebody and, and you're like really, you know, you're just like relishing the conversation, like this is good relationship building, you know what I mean? You're like really connecting and you're talking about something or someone and that person or thing who's affected walks up and hears it? And what happens? In that moment, you're like, why? Because you're being held to account for what you're saying. The person comes in the room while you're talking about them, you're like, oh, hi. You know what I mean? That moment, that moment, Jesus says, we'll be held to account for every one of those. Every careless word that scatters, we're going to be held to account on the day of judgment for our careless words. Because by your words, you'll be acquitted. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Now, I don't know if when you came in here today, you felt like you needed a savior or not, you know, but I do, 
right? I mean, I read that and I'm like, oh God, I've said so many stupid things. I've said so many careless things. I've had so many clueless moments where I'm living in my sinful desires and I'm, I'm, I'm satiated, I'm fulfilled in this stupidity I'm involved with and, and then I'm, I'm, I'm busted for it. And you're telling me that every one of those now I'm going to be held accountable for. Oh. What does it say? The kindness of Christ leads us to repentance. Man, I just turned my heart and I said, God, forgive me for those things. Oh, God, protect me from those things. Or maybe like the psalmist, you say, create in me a clean heart, Father. A clean heart doesn't desire that. We're never going to be perfect, but we will be held to account for our words. Well, he gives us great hope because for your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. I'm going to share two verses. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to see them on the screen. This is coming from uh, Romans 10. I'm going to read two of them, but I'm going to focus on that right there on the screen. 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Paul writes to the church in Rome, that Jesus is Lord, that means master, sovereign. It doesn't mean like Jesus is Lord bumper sticker. It means like he's in charge of my life. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ten, because it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Jesus taught that the things that come from our mouth are an overflow of our heart. And I got to tell you, that's where the battle is in those two things. I've heard people ask questions, but then they go, yeah, so you can just say Jesus is Lord and get away with anything, right? Yeah, do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? I mean, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it means you believe that you're going to be raised from the dead in his name. You're going to be held to account, no matter whether you're with him or against him, no matter whether you were gathering or you were spreading, you know, dispersing. You're going to be held accountable for Christ in your heart. Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, Paul says, you'll be saved. You'll be saved if you believe that God, in his great mercy, a demonstration of his power and love, raised his son from the dead. Listen, when the world said, all hope is lost. I mean, if you think about Christmas, we're going to celebrate Jesus' birth. It's a hopeful, joyous time. And you think about Easter, Specifically Good Friday, which is kind of the other goalpost of Jesus' life when he dies. All hope is lost. And in God's great kindness, he raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus takes his life up again as a demonstration of his power, his glory, his truth. So today I'm going to invite you, if you know, we always talk about there's this idea, you know, saved, not saved. That's true. You believe the gospel, you're saved. That's true. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is my master and you believe in your heart, God raised him dead, you'll be saved. Click, checkbox, right? But there's this faith continuum that we're, we're walking on all the time with Christ as we seek to believe him. And I don't know if you believe you're in that continuum, but I would say that you are. And so today, wherever you are, I'm going to invite you to respond to Jesus. If you have never heard the gospel and you're like, I, I just know I'm a sinner and I need a savior and that's all I know. You can respond that way to Christ today.
You can just say, God, save me. I mean, you can ask him to help you with all the broken stuff. And if you've been a believer since you were five, you know what I mean? And you said that was a miracle, but I got to tell you, Matt, as a parent, that's a miracle. You know what I mean? To have a parent sit down and tell your five-year-old, do you want to receive Jesus? We talked about that last week. That's a, that's a miracle, bro. Praise God. But if you've been believing your whole life, but you're still finding all this stuff, these unfiltered you know, words, this, this, this heart attitude that you have, and you need cleansing from Christ, boy, why keep him out? Like, well, I already accepted you, so you can't redeem me. That makes no sense. That's not the gospel. Open your darkened heart to Christ. And we can see what he does as a redeemer. You're invited to pray with me if you want to, and we'll just ask him for his intervention, his salvation on our behalf. Uh, Father God, today as we come into your house and your word to experience your people, but your goodness and your glory, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you even for the hard words that that seem to cut so deep, Father, those things that we just go, oh, that's just me. I'm there, broken, I'm sin-filled. And yet we know that when your Holy Spirit intervenes, when your Son speaks over us, claims us as his own, as known by him, that those areas are made pure and right and holy. Even when we don't see it, you're redeeming and making us holy. We give you thanks and praise for that. For our brothers and sisters here today, and who are here today, and they, they, they don't think the gospel is for them, I pray you would convict them in their hearts that you gave your son to save them. There's no more need for hiding or shame or doing better to please you that your ultimate redemption is found in Jesus, that he would be their savior today. May you do that work. For those of us who have those corners that we're still struggling with, Father, we pray that you would intervene on our behalf through your son's name, that you would continue to compel us to love you and trust you more than these, that we would know you more fully, and that more than anything in this world, we'd be aware of our condition in front of you, not as a terrifying God who is distant, and uncaring, but as a loving Father whose great kindness draws us to repentance. Help us with that work today, Father God. And we'll give you praise and glory because you're worthy. I thank you for the work you've done here today. The way you're moving amongst your people may be glorified through everything that's happening. In Jesus' name, amen.